In the Apostle Paul's letter to the churches in Galatia, we are presented with God's wonderful plan through the death and resurrection of Jesus to save for himself a diverse family of saints who are being transformed by Jesus to live like Jesus. This is Galatians, God's very good idea. And we are Mercy Village Church, located in Barbersville, West Virginia. And you can learn more at www.mercyvillage.church. John Hancock has become synonymous with what? Signature. Yeah, handwriting. That's why. Uh, He got a little dramatic when he signed the Declaration of Independence. So some people, when they ask for a signature, they'll ask for your your John Hancock. Now, the story goes, and it's unsubstantiated, by the way, so... Uh, but it's the story goes that he signed it. He he was likely the most likely the first to sign the Declaration of Independence. And that as he went to sit down, he said I, that he wrote it big enough so that King George could read it without his spectacles on. Right now, that, that we don't know that to be true. There's no audio recording of that event. That may just be uh, a tale that's been told. We don't know for sure. But what we do know is that regardless of the truth of that story, he did write his name the largest. In fact, and there's people that have studied this, nerds out there, it is at least two times bigger than the next largest signature on the Declaration of Independence and over six times larger than the vast majority of those signatures. So if you care to know that, now you do. What in the world does that have to do with our passage today? Galatians 6, 11. Paul says, see with what large letters I am writing. I thought it was a fire alarm. I was ready. <laughs> I was ready to go. I wasn't re- I'm not ready to preach this anyway. <laughs> Call it a day, right? Come back to this another point. See with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. Now, there's two theories about what's happening here. Why did he write it this way? In the very original manuscript, the very first one ever written, were the letters actually bigger, like like John Hancock's signature? Most likely they were. Uh, There's two theories for what's happening here. The first is that he just went to bold font, right? Like he just said, I'm going to put some emphasis on this. So I'm going to write bigger. Another theory, and this is highly likely too, because we know that Paul had other folks oftentimes pen his letters. They were the ones who would write the actual letters themselves while he stood there and and asked people what to write. And that maybe, and we talked about this earlier in the book of Galatians, he does have a thorn in the side or a thorn in the flesh that is vision issues. And so what he does perhaps here in verse 11 and throughout the remainder of the letter to the church of Galatia, is he takes that pen from the scribe. He says, I'm going to write it now. And he has to write it larger because his vision isn't as good as it was before God saved him on the road to Damascus through blindness. And so, maybe that's the theory. Regardless, Paul's saying, this is important. Focus on what I'm about to say. If you don't Remember anything else from this letter to the churches in Galatia. Remember this. Remember these things. 
And he's going to speak again of the selfish rabble, the, the Judaizers, these selfish people who had stirred up trouble. And he's going to speak again about the gospel realities that belong to the people of God and how those two things actually don't sync up with each other, but instead they, they are the furthest they can be apart from each other. He's going to sum up these two constants that have transcended the whole letter. These, these Judaizers, this rabble, selfish people, and he's going to sum up these gospel realities. And, and actually the message he's going to give us as he closes the book is quite simple. Selfishness, selfish way of living is sabotage. Sabotage for yourself. Sabotage for your family, the people that are close to you in your life, and it's sabotage for a church. Selfishness is sabotage, but the gospel is, is life. Father, what we know not today, please teach us. What we are not, please make us. And what we have not, please give us. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If you remember where we've been uh, through this book, we're coming to a close today. The book of Galatians. This is your rough outline of the entire book. A couple times throughout the series we've, we've looked at this. It was a fire alarm I'm beginning to feel like. <laughs> very own, and, that, and now we have to call out our very own volunteer firefighter in our midst because it was in fact his alarm, I think. <laughs> so pray for those folks or whatever's going on there. But to the, to the book of Galatians, Chapters 1 and 2, roughly, shows the truth of the gospel. This is the case that Paul is making throughout the letter. Chapters 3 and 4 tell us that, that the truth of that gospel creates a diverse family of people. In chapters 5 and 6, as he closes out the letter, he shows our being transformed by the Spirit. Chapters 1 and 2, the truth of the gospel, and there's only one gospel, he says... And he then gives his personal testimony of that reality. Several different stories he shared with us if you've been here through the whole series. Points to that one true gospel that we are justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone. That is the true gospel, chapters 1 and 2. That true gospel creates a diverse family by grace through faith. He asks us a question, is it by faith or by works? that we have this salvation? And the answer, of course, is by faith. He points to Abraham. We spend some time, some time with Abraham and, and his family looking at how the promises of God are worth more than the law. They are before the law, during the law, and after the law. Therefore, they hold a higher value. And it is those prom that promise that God is going to create a diverse family. Through Abraham, all the nations of the world will be, be blessed. And so he makes a plea to return to the true gospel because there's disunity in the churches of Galatia. And he's saying return to the true gospel for the sake of unity. Be brought together. And then he gives this story of Hagar and Sarah. And he talks about what true freedom in Christ looks like. Chapters 3 and 4. And then we've been in chapters 5 and 6. That this truth of the gospel creates a diverse family of people who are being transformed by the Spirit into Christ-likeness. And we've seen this over the last few weeks, that we're transformed from slave to free. We're transformed from living according to the flesh to living according to the Spirit. Last week, Pastor Dan 
uh, shared with us that we're being transformed from being selfish to servant, even in the way we confront one another. The way we engage one another with truth, we come not selfishly, but as servants. And today he sums up the whole, the whole letter. He sums up uh, mainly saying, reject the selfish rabble, this selfish rabble of people who would have you uh, live selfishly and instead receive the gospel reality. Verses 12 and 13, reject their message. These Judaizers, he sums this back up. He said it a thousand times in his letter. Reject their message, and not only that, but reject their presence with you because they are selfish people, and selfishness is sabotage. Selfishness takes a relationship, a loving relationship with God, and turns it into religiosity. It turns it into performance. It turns it into legalism. It, it forsakes loving for listing. It forsakes mercy for measurement. It forsakes grace for grinding it out. That's what selfishness does. It turns relationship into religiosity and, it, and it's a dry rot for the body of Christ. Selfishness will dry rot the body of Christ from the inside out and he gives two ways that it does that. He says selfishness will manifest itself in religiosity, religious practices that are to avoid something. And also, it will manifest itself in religious practices, religiosity, that's seeking to selfishly gain something. Selfishly avoid something, selfishly gain something. Selfishness will pervert our religion. Verse 12, it is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh. That's why they're pra practicing their religion the way they are. They want to look good. They want to look important. They want to look special. Who would force you to be circumcised? And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Both are in there, but the emphasis is on what they're avoiding. They're seeking to avoid persecution. So these Judaizers would have come in. They're Christian in the sense that they want to be followers of Jesus, but they also don't want to be persecuted by the Orthodox Jews in Jerusalem. Those who, who they've grown up with, their family, their past relationships within the Jewish faith. And so they begin to water down the gospel. They begin to water down the exclusivity of Jesus. That we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus alone, not by our works. And so they try to pander to the Judaizers. Nothing, very few things, will, will undermine true Religion, true Christianity, faster than trying to cater to people, cater to avoid their persecution, their scorn, their looking down upon us. And so those who would have this checklist of the law in Galatia saying you have to be circumcised, you have to eat a certain way, you have to practice these sacred days, they were doing that to avoid persecution. Sometimes we will cave on truth to avoid awkwardness, to avoid tension, to avoid uh, being looked down upon by people in our lives. So sometimes we'll shift the way we follow Jesus from how we should follow Jesus to a different way of following Jesus because we want to avoid something. 
Sometimes we'll do it because we want to gain something. Verse 13, for even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law. That's their hypocrisy. He throws that in there, by the way. He's thrown that in a couple times through the letter. He's saying they want you to obey the law, but only the parts of the law that they have for you. Not all of it. There's a bunch of stuff in there they aren't doing. They've kind of picked and chosen the parts that you go with. That's the sign of legalism, by the way, right? When, when people call themselves teetotal obeyers of the rules, but then when you look at the rules of the Bible and you say, well, they aren't doing all of them. They aren't obeying all the rules. Yeah, that's usually a, a true sign that there's legalism, that there's false religion. What do they want? They desire to have you circumcised. Why? That they may boast in your flesh. They want their way of practicing religion to reflect back good on themselves. They want people to look at them and say, man, what a great church in Galatia. Look how holy they look. Look how perfect they look. They wanted to have pride in what they'd done. These people have come to agree with us and, and, and believe the same things we believe. We must be convincing, important, special people. They want to be able to boast in what they've done. They want the religion to say, look at us. They want to gain a reason to boast. Man, hear me today. Boasting is a sneaky thing. We'll be vulnerable with you. Easter Sunday. Put all these invites together. We invited our friends. We put stuff up on the internet, social media. Carried chairs out there. 150 people rolled in here. Heard about the resurrected Jesus. He sang. Had the piano up on the path. McClintock brought his trailer in. We had the piano up there. Jericho singing. Faith was playing. Josh was... It was a glorious day. And then I went home. And I wanted to boast in the flesh. I had to turn my phone off and stuff it down in the bottom of my bag because I wanted to reach for the social media outlets on my phone to see how everybody was processing the day, to see who was talking about it. I wanted to boast in the flesh. Look, we did it, right? Small little church and all these people come out. Now, I wanted to hear the affirmations of the world. That's a special kind of evil. By the way, that's a perversion of God's good gifts to take them and to use them as a reason to boast in myself. You want to pray for your pastor? Pray for me, right? Because we're going to transition into a new space over there on Route 60. I'll put some signage up and everybody's going to see it. My heart. And if you're, if you're honest with yourself, your heart in maybe different ways will try to twist this opportunity into a reason to boast in the flesh. Look what we've done. Some people said, and they did to my face, that, that this church would never make survive. Huh, but we've got a building now. Hey, look at us. Right? Like that means anything. 
Look how good we're doing. We're this great church. We're on Route 60. People can see us, right? Yeah, boastiness. Sneaky. And the root of our avoidance of difficulty, right? Changing the way we follow Jesus to avoid difficulty or changing the way we follow Jesus to give ourselves a reason to boast is always selfishness. And selfishness is sabotage every single time. Selfishness will destroy your life. Selfishness will destroy your relationships. Selfishness will dry rot a church. If you're here, in this following of Jesus to prove something to yourself or to prove something to the world around you. And I just admitted that I struggle with that too, by the way. So don't think I'm like up here pounding on y'all. I'm pounding on myself too. If you're in this to prove something to yourself or to prove something to someone else or to prove something to Jesus, stop. That's selfishness. If you're coming to this to somehow earn a a name for yourself, stop. If you think your hard work for Jesus, your religiosity is somehow going to earn you some badge of honor. Listen, I could be the greatest preacher in the tri-state. Wouldn't matter. We have the best kids ministry there is. We could have the best music. We could have the best space. You could be known by everyone here as the most faithful servant, right? You could have blisters all over your hands for how much work you put in to see Mercy Village Church thriving, surviving. And if that's what you're here for, for that affirmation, if that's the prize for you, you, it's just religiosity. You're putting regal clothes on your rottenness. Selfishness is sabotage. Reject any message, any rabble of people that is rooted in selfishness. The Judaizers came in and said, do it our way so that we can be made much of. Do it our way so that we can avoid persecution. They were selfish. There's something much better available than than selfishness anyway. Paul turns to that. He says, receive the gospel reality. I can get this to work. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Next three verses are going to be a call, including this one, to embrace, receive the gospel reality. The next two after this one are going to be gentle in their tone. They're going to call us to rest. But this one is a shake-awake verse, and some of us need to hear it today. He says to us, That the measurements of the world are dead to us, and we are dead to them. The way the world measures success, the way the world measures fame and glory and goodness and worth, those are dead to us, and we are dead to them. 
For those of us who are truly in Christ, everything has changed. Everything. I mean worldview-wise, the way we see every single thing on this planet has changed. We are called to see things no longer as for our glory and our good, right? The evolutionary theory, right? Survival of the fittest, right? That's not what we're called to. We're called to the glory of God and the fame of Jesus. You don't exist for your own glory, child of God. You exist for the glory of God and the fame of of Jesus. Your social media accounts do not exist for your glory. Your social media accounts exist for the glory of God and the fame of Jesus. For some of you, they don't exist for the glory of God and the fame of Jesus. Kudos. Your house exists for the glory of God and the fame of Jesus. Your kids, your resume, my kids, my resume don't exist for my glory. They exist for the glory of God and the fame of Jesus. Our engagement with Mercy Village Church does not exist for our glory. The glory of God fame of Jesus. This space, our new space, your talents, your gifts, our wealth, our resources, our accomplishments, our influence, our careers, everything that we have in our lives, all of you and all of you exist for the glory of God and the fame of Jesus. That's the shift that's happened in us. So the question that comes to me this week question for us today is what are we doing like that's the shake away question of this pat of this verse what are we doing wake up what are we doing chasing facebook likes and human affirmations what what are we doing chasing after the i love you's and i need you's and i respect you's of this world what are we doing Measuring our lives with things that are eternally irrelevant. The units of measurement the world has to offer us. What are we doing? Wake up. That's aggressive. I know it is. The next two verses aren't as aggressive. Listen, some of us need to hear that message today, though. That wake up message. Stop living for yourself. Even as a Christian, stop making your religion about yourself. Stop stop measuring your success in this world by the standards of the world. Measure it according to the kingdom. Live for the glory of God, the fame of Jesus. That's part of Paul's message, to shake us awake. But he also now turns and says, for some of us, it's different. Some of us need to hear a different message today. Rest. In something. We measure ourselves according to the world too, but not for our pride, but instead we measure ourselves according to the world standards and it breaks us down. We feel like failures. We feel busted today. Just like the person who seeks to boast measures themselves according to the world's standards, even in their religion, so that they can be puffed up and proud. Some of us are caught up in measuring 
our lives according to the world's standards and it beats us down. We feel inadequate. We feel like failures. And so to us, Paul says, rest up. When you buckle under the weight of the measurements of the world, the comparisons of the world, remember neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but new creation. Now, you got to get underneath this verse. This isn't just about circumcision and uncircumcision. What he's saying is the measurements of the world and the non-measurements of the world, the things that Christians say make you a success or a failure that, that aren't in line with Scripture, the, the things that the world says make you a success or a failure, they don't matter for anything. What matters is new creation. You've been made new. So don't just wake up to a right way of thinking and living. More importantly, rest in your new way of being. You've been made new. If you're a child of God here today, you've been made new. You're a new creation. I think we shared this quote maybe on Easter or around in that series. God has given you a new self. This is gospel reality. You are, by definition, child of God, a miracle. Your existence as a Christian is a miracle. You are supernatural. It's not that there's kind of ordinary Christians. And then there's the kind of spiritual Christians. No, Paul is saying that all of us as Christians, men and women, have been made new by the Spirit. Yes, there's a whole lot of mess still. There's mixed motives. There's ongoing failings. But your most fundamental longing now is for Christ. That's the work that God has done in you. Now, sometimes we numb away that longing for Christ. Sometimes we distract ourselves away from that longing for Christ, but the reason you're so ultimately bored and dissatisfied with those things that numb and those things that distract is because you're a new person, a new creation whose deepest longing is for Christ. You are someone in whom the Spirit of Jesus dwells. So now what is deepest in you is Jesus. This is who you are Child of God, you have been made new. Regardless of what the world says you don't measure up to, regardless of what the world says you measure up to, is irrelevant. You have been made new. You are a new creation. The news gets even better. It says, as for those who walk by this rule, what rule? The rule that by grace, through faith in Jesus, you're made new. The people who walk according to that rule, for them, peace and mercy be upon them. If you have been made new by grace through faith in Jesus, peace and mercy belong to you. Peace. Jew or Gentile, peace. Relational beauty, shalom with Jew and Gentile. Relational beauty. Male and female. Relational beauty, slave and free. Relational beauty, Republican and Democrat. Relational beauty, black and white. Relational beauty, vaxxed and unvaxxed. Relational beauty, 
for all the people of God because of the relational beauty that we now have with God our Father through the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Though that peace is yours in Christ and mercy, the wrath of God that should have been yours absorbed by Jesus on the cross so that that punishment can be withheld from you. And he finishes that verse saying, and upon the Israel of God. There's some theological implications here that are pretty wild, but just simply put, he's saying that the new Israel, the Israel of God, and we've talked about this in this whole letter, is no longer defined by DNA, but it's defined by being in Christ. And you, if you're a Christian here today, you are the Israel of God. You are His people. And because of that, you get to go to promises like this one and hear them for you today. Hear this for you today, child of God. Isaiah 43. But now thus says the Lord, who created you, O saints of God, church, the Israel of God, who formed you, O Israel of God, church, mercy, village, church. Fear not, I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. You belong to the God of the universe. You're His. When you pass through the waters, and you will, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overwhelm you. Even when they feel like they're going to overwhelm you, they won't. This is your promise, Israel of God, Mercy Village Church. And you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. Now, in the next line, it says, the flame shall not consume you. Meaning, yeah, sometimes it's going to get hot. You're going to sweat a little bit in this life. You're going to feel the heat. The fire will not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. You could just sit in that if you're willing to engage that and believe that, those words, you could just sit in that and rest in that. It should never grow old. God knows you by name. You are His. You are redeemed. He is with you in your suffering and in your sorrows. He is your Savior. Because you are precious in my eyes. Have you thought about that today? That the God of the universe, because of Jesus, sees you as precious. For you as parents, have you taken the time, as precious as you think your children are, that God feels that way towards you? I'm serious. Like, have you really engaged that thought? You are precious in His eyes. You are honored. <laughs> Do you know how ridiculous it is that the God of the universe, worthy of all honor and glory and praise, honors you? Because of Jesus. 
said, I love you. Like, honestly. I can't fathom that. But I want to, like, believe that with all my heart. Some days I don't believe that, that I'm loved by God. I don't believe that I'm precious in His eyes, but I want to. Because when I do, peace. Because when I do, striving ceases. Because when I do, I can walk in faithful obedience with Jesus without fear, without guilt, without shame. He says, I give men in return for you, people in exchange for your lives. And he's talking to a specific group of people with a specific idea that they're going to be redeemed out of slavery, but it points to the gospel message that one day he will give his own son in exchange for your life. For Christ also suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous that he might bring us to God. God so loved the world that he gave his only son in exchange for your soul. Jesus, perfect, undeserving of death, took your place, my place, on the cross, arms outstretched, nails in his hands and in his feet, blood spilling out, and he cried out, it is finished, because all the wrath of God came down on my sin and your sin at the cross as God gave his own son in exchange for your life. Jesus died, it is finished. Three days later he raised from the dead, victorious over death, completing the work of your atonement, and he holds the keys to death, hell, and the grave in his hands. And all who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ are saved. And that's insane. That someone like me to receive that gift in exchange for my life. That is the gospel reality. Receive it afresh today. Parting words to finish this letter. One's a warning and, and one's a, a warm, warm word. I really struggled trying to say that this week. Warm word. Galatians 6.17 From now on, let no one cause me trouble. He's kind of a curmudgeon now. Get off my lawn, kids. Let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. This isn't a curmudgeonly verse. He's just summing up the sum up. He's saying, tell those, that rabble, that selfish rabble, to shut up and sit down or leave. Don't engage their message. Don't believe their message. Because as you've seen me lay out in this letter, and as you can see in their lives, their religion is about selfishness. Their religion is about avoiding difficulty. But look at my scars. Look at my wounds, Paul says. They bear testament to the fact that what I proclaim about the gospel is true. It has come with suffering. You can see it. Leicester, which would have been close by to many of these saints. He'd been stoned and left for dead there. I don't know what Paul looked like, but he actually had scars that testified to the reality of the gospel that he had believed and given his life to. He says, in my scars, they they testify to the reality of the 
the gospel. What have you lost? What have you risked? What have you forsaken? What have you endured to follow Jesus? It doesn't have to look like Paul, right? I mean, that's extreme. Most of us will never be in that place. Maybe some of us will. We have Christian brothers and sisters right now around the world who who are there right now. It will be death. It will be physical scars for them. We're not called to a lack of sacrifice just because we're not in those situations, places. Verse 18 closes with this word for us. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Grace? God's riches, it's a good acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense, that's yours, undeserved wealth and treasure and uh, forgiveness and life is yours. Be with your spirit, it's internal, it's in the depths of who we are, transformed by the gospel and that word brothers. That's a family word, brothers and sisters, instead of God being our enemy, or even, as we sometimes think, kind of like done with us now, okay, their sins are forgiven, so okay, he's apathetic towards us for the rest of our lives. No, we're family, loved by God. And it's all through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about Jesus. Amen and amen and amen. That's the gospel. Grace upon grace and if the Apostle Paul were here today he would say the same thing that I'm going to say this message is worth all of you it's worth all of your life it's worth all of your breath it's worth all of your thought it's worth all of your intentions it's worth all of your moments it's worth it all selfishness though sabotage the gospel is life, life to the full. If you've never received this gospel reality, receive it today, not by works, but by faith. We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Trust the finished work of Jesus today gospel realities of the book of Galatians and of this whole book can be yours in Christ. And lastly, for the children of God, three things. One, wake up. We already did it. We already talked about it. I don't need to hash it all out again, but, but wake up. For some of us today, we find ourselves chasing things for our own selfish desires. We want influence. We want power. We want fame. We want whatever it is. Maybe even good things. We might even treat, treat church or parenting or work or whatever for selfish gain. Trying to gain affirmation, acceptance, importance, influence. Wake up. That way of living is dead to us. That's how the world measures success. Not the kingdom. So wake up to rest up. For others today, we're stuck. We can't measure up to our Instagram feed. We can't measure up to what our parents want us to be. We can't measure up to the pressures of this world around us saying, be like this or be like that. Or maybe even within the church, 
We have felt pressure that we have to conform to a certain religious way of living and we feel like I just can't measure up. And so we're buckling under the pressure because we keep failing. Jesus says, come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Rest in that reality. That doesn't mean you don't wake up. That doesn't mean you don't go to work, right? But it means when you go to work, you yoke up right next to your big brother Jesus. That's a yoke, right? Two of them, right? You have to, if you're going to yoke up with Jesus, be right next to Jesus. Trust me, his work is finished. You just walk with him through this life. What a beautiful opportunity to yoke up with Jesus. What rest there is in that. Even in the working of becoming like Jesus, we are resting as we're yoked up with Jesus in this life. Some of us, myself included, get caught up in working for Jesus. I'm going to call us today to work with Jesus. Jesus is not a slave driver standing over his people. Mush, go, work, harder. Jesus puts the yoke on. He says, hey, come work with me. Man, it doesn't get any better than that. <laughs> Man, I wish I could bottle this whole thing up and we could just drink it every day and just be so excited that we are loved by God, and we get to work alongside our big brother, Jesus. Embrace this gospel reality. My hope would be that our spiritual disciplines, our reading of our Bible, our prayer, our community groups, our service in the church, all of these things that we do that can become chores would instead be opportunities for what the psalmist says and Psalm 34. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge. That's the gospel reality. That the Lord is good. Taste and see. Selfishness is sabotage, but the gospel is life. Life to the full. So I dare you today I dare you today to believe this. I dare you today to yoke up with Jesus afresh and walk with Him. I dare you to kill your selfishness and embrace gospel reality. I dare you to live, to taste and see that the Lord is good, life to the full. Father, thank you for this letter to the churches of Galatia. Some of it like a punch in the gut. Some of it like a course in doctrine and theology. and So much of it like a warm blanket or a cup of cold water for the soul. And we need every part of it. We need all of those pieces. We need shaken awake at times. And, and that might sting a little, but we need that. 
We need theological clarity and doctrinal understanding. We need our minds to be challenged as we, as we know you. And man, we so desperately need cups of cold water for our soul, warm blankets for our heart, and you've given us so many of them. So may we not walk away from this letter unchanged. May we walk away from this letter both challenged and comforted, both learned and loved. May that be by your grace. And may we be people who reject selfishness and embrace gospel reality with every part of who we are. In the name of Jesus we pray. Thanks for listening. You can subscribe to this feed wherever you listen to podcasts. We exist to experience and embody redemption and renewal in Christ alone, and we'd love for you to experience what God is doing as Jesus builds Mercy Village Church. Connect with us online at www.mercyvillage.church.